and welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh, and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to the Post Party Project. Um, I have a bit of a cold today. I just keep catching every daycare bug that Ivy brings home. It's just the worst. Like, when does it end? <laughs> so my voice is a bit horrible, but it's only for this start. Um, I recorded this chat with Claudia last week before the bug had fully hit me. <laughs> um, so yeah, today in today's episode... I chat with the lovely Claudia, who is the founder of Matrescence by Design. She's a postpartum doula and she offers various services to help out new mamas on their postpartum journey. You can check about check out more on her packages on her website, which we mentioned um, in the podcast, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Claudia has such a nurturing energy about her, so if you're in the area she services, I would definitely look her up. I really love today's chat with Claudia. She really opens up about her own experience and how she cares for new mamas others. We also chat about her experience with gestational diabetes, mental health around body image when pregnant and postpartum, and where you can go to get help. Um, we chat about her birth and also a lot about what we can do to support new mamas. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy today's episode. I would always love it if you could let me know on my Instagram what you thought. Um, and yeah, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thanks, guys. I won't hang around and chat much more because my voice is very croaky. Um, But yeah, we'll get into the chat. Thank you for joining me today, Claudia. I am so excited to dive into your postpartum journey and to hear about everything that you do in your line of work. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm really excited to be here too. Awesome. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's, um, yeah, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of introduction on yourself um, and what you do and who's in your family. Yep, so I'm Claudia. I am 37 and I have a beautiful 20-month-old daughter, Clara. Um, We live in Melbourne with my partner and we've got family sort of scattered around Victoria. But, yeah, we're just living our little lives. I started this postpartum journey into postpartum care around about February this year. I launched after... I guess, 12 months of not knowing how I was going to integrate work life with mum life and not having like the traditional village of support, I thought this is what I need to be doing. I need to be making sure other mums are cared for, um, you know, whilst making sure my family was cared for too. Mm, Yeah, that's awesome. So was that kind of the path into you choosing to be a postpartum doula? Yeah, I had no idea even what it was when I was postpartum like traditionally in that sort of first six months sense um and I can't even remember how I I got into it but I think Julia Jones she is the lady who did the course I did um I went through her course and I think it just kept coming up on my Instagram like Julia Jones newborn mothers and I clicked on it one day 
and sort of had that feeling where I was like a bit nervous to talk to my partner about it, but it was like a bit of money and I wanted to commit to a course. And I was like, oh, I think this is this is my calling. Like I didn't have the traditional postpartum in the sense that we were all in lockdown and it was, you know, pretty heavy in Melbourne. And I didn't want anybody else to go through that. And I thought if I can do this for work and it's a little bit of study over the Christmas break, I'll be set up to go by February. Um, and I wanted to learn all I could, even though you don't have to have a certificate for postpartum work. I just wanted to quieten that little bit of imposter in my brain and be like certified and good to go. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, but maybe we can um, also start with your birth and your labour and then, yeah, then we can lead into it, how it kind of happened chronologically. Awesome. I think think that'll be fun. Yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about um, your pregnancy. Did you have any complications at all? Yes, I had, I had a funny pregnancy. I loved it and would do it a thousand times over. Um, but I had a few things come up very early on, like placenta previa from like the seven to 12 week scans, I found out I was pregnant at about five weeks. So very early scan, they were like, oh, we'll flag this and we'll see if it moves. So that was something they were thinking cesarean from the very, very start, which I wasn't opposed to at all. And then it turned out I had what they thought was a bicornuate uterus, which is where your uterus is sort of heart-shaped. So they thought that maybe the baby would be breached for the whole time. So they were like, yep, you'll definitely have a C-section. And then I ended up with gestational diabetes. So they were like, oh, your baby's going to be huge. We'll keep a C-section. <laughs> so all of these things up until like 25 weeks were all leading towards me being booked in. So I never really thought too much about having a like vaginal birth and in my head I was like prepping for a c-section and the recovery afterwards and googling everything I could about cesarean sections and the scars and what people's tummies look like afterwards um, and even just the internal examinations that were constant throughout my pregnancy they were every sort of five weeks just to see if that placenta had shifted and by the time I got to like 36 weeks, I was like, oh no, like what if it has moved? And now like I've got to get in the headspace of having a vaginal delivery in lockdown. And I just, I couldn't quite switch my brain. So even though I probably wouldn't wish a cesarean on anybody um, in terms of recovery, I found the recovery quite hard. I am very grateful that it was something that I was able to do with the knowledge around it as well. It wasn't just thrown on me in like the delivery room after 24 hours of labour. Like I just think that would be so tough. But, yeah, so C-section um, in Melbourne, in lockdown, and it was the most amount of people I'd seen I think in probably six months. Wow. Oh, my God. There's so much to unpack there, I think. <laughs> um, how, did you go, how did you go with the gestational diabetes diagnosis? Oh, it was it was probably the hardest part. I should probably mention at the start of my pregnancy, Clara was a bit of a surprise. So very blessed that we were able to fall pregnant at all. And I had actually just joined a PT and she was like, oh, do you ever think you'll have babies? And I'm like, oh, I don't think my mental health around my body image would cope with having a pregnancy. At that stage, I was just 
not loving, um, I guess, like where I was at physically. And then the next week I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a curveball. Um, so I'd actually been in touch with the Butterfly Foundation very early on just by email and just discussing with them how I'd manage and navigate the changes in my body. Um, it sounds like a little bit silly now, but those first weeks where you don't look pregnant but you don't look your normal self and you just feel so bloated. And, yeah, I told people very early on because I am all about celebrating every little thing. Like if we hadn't been able to, you know, successfully navigate a full pregnancy, I still would have wanted to enjoy the moments I had as being a pregnant mum. So the Butterfly Foundation were really helpful and they just gave me little pointers every couple of weeks, like focus on this, focus on what you can do. Um, And then when I got the diagnosis of gestational diabetes, I guess the stigma that was around that in my head before I knew too much about it was that only people that were overweight got it, only people that overindulged, and that really negative spiral of things that I had done wrong, that was why I had it. So I had a full meltdown in the car, rang my sister, rang my mum, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And I didn't find the team, I was in Gippsland back then, didn't find the team super, super helpful with my concerns around the mental health side of the diagnosis and the actual, like, way to manage it. So it was all diet and movement managed. And if you have a history of tricky eating and disordered food thoughts, it does lead to a bit of a spiral. And I think it's something that's maybe not spoken enough about, um, because you do go into that controlled environment where everything has to be measured. And if you fall back into that, it can be really hard to navigate your way out of. So, yeah, very long-winded <laughs> winded mm. thing to get to the way I dealt with gestational diabetes. But in the end, I, th- I think that it was one of the best things that happened to me in pregnancy because I was super, super healthy um, in the lead-up and probably at my fittest because I was moving so much Um, and just, yeah, navigating it was a little bit tricky, but we got there in the end. Mm, That's so hard. I can't even believe that. For for one, I didn't even know that there was that kind of support for pregnant women if they had those feelings. That's really good Mm. to know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And did you find out when you do, was it around, is it the 28 week mark? Is that when you found out? Yeah. 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 So I had my iron checked and they rang and said, oh, you've got crazy low iron. You've got to come in for an infusion. And I was like, okay, great. And she's like, oh, and by the way, you've got GD. And I just remember just being completely stumped with the way that it was delivered, just like so nonchalant. And I know people deliver it the news every day and it it's probably just like saying oh here's your coffee um but it really hit me like a a truck I just remember thinking like oh my goodness like one more thing like I've had internal examinations every few weeks I'm alone during the week because my partner was living in Melbourne and we had lockdowns and you know we were in COVID so it wasn't like your appointments were even face to face everything was via Zoom and even learning how to do insulin was all via zoom and I just think like people people maybe didn't understand how significant the delivery of news can be Mm -hmm. so yeah when people come to me and they're like oh you know I've been given this and I'm feeling really crappy about it I'm like okay what can we do to make it an easy transition for you you don't have to see it as negative we can turn it around Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and yeah, like the foundations and the supports available, they're, they're so great and they're all free. Mm. Like it's, it's just an email away. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's um, literally that one point where I feel like you can hold on to trauma from a situation is the way it's delivered to you because I felt the same when I was told that I had preeclampsia and then the same when Ivy was breached. Like I remember that delivery, it just it stuck with me and it probably always will and same I'm sure how you yeah. feel with the GD. Um, how did you go yeah. then um, being pregnant and having to be so strict with your eating because I feel that that was such a hard thing for me to do myself without yeah. Yes, I I really like control and lists. Um, and it wasn't until the end that I had to navigate using insulin at night time only. Um, I don't know if you know a whole heap about GD, but the night time insulin levels out what you can't control with food and diet. So a lot of people end up on insulin just for that nighttime um, release because it's not like you can have a snack at 2am or you can go for a walk to level out your um, blood glucose readings. So that I think people really struggle with. They think that they're failing if they're on insulin or if the insulin amounts keep going up. But it's really, I guess, important to remember that it's the placenta that's in control of your gestational diabetes and not really you. Um, But the food I really found if I got pre-packaged meals everything was written on the back so I could quickly do the maths in my head and know that if I had that then that would be a fine reading and if it wasn't you know what I could do there's a great page um, her name's Dr Robin Thompson and she's on Instagram and she always does like little plates of what you, you can expect your readings to be and I found her page so so helpful so if anybody ever comes to me I always send them directly to her on Instagram um, because it just, it navigates everything and the things that you think would be healthy. So like, you know, your brown bread, it's like, oh no, you've got to have sourdough Mm. or brown rice. Oh no, you've got to have white long grain. Like it's a real shift mentally into what's healthy for your body and your baby and what's not. Um, But I found that just thinking of like the bub in my belly and making sure they were the healthiest they could be, everything else, was just like, you know, fluffer nonsense, but mm. I really just wanted pastries. As soon as I like delivered her, I was like, give me all the pastries. <laughs> yeah, I would be the same. Um, so how did you yeah. go about coming into your C-section then? Did you get to choose a date? Did they, what were they trying to get you to in terms of weeks? Yep, yep. So the C-section I had booked in at Sandringham Hospital just in Melbourne. Um, I hadn't been there for a t- or anything because obviously we weren't allowed to so it was all just over the phone um and I got to choose my date and the kind of the nice thing is my sister was actually due to have her second baby around the same time and she was planning on being induced and she rang me and said do you want me to go before or after and I was like I need you to go before so she went on the 21st of September and then they said when do you want to book in Claudia and I was like let's go the 22nd so I was 39 and 3 I think when Clara was born and so my sister had her baby on I think it was the Monday and then I got to have mine on the Tuesday so we had little cousin twinnies um and it was great I really liked knowing that that day we were going in at 8 a.m we were going to meet our little girl we didn't know she was a girl but yeah it was just the best and when we were there, because of the gestational diabetes, they actually book whoever has that in first. So there was me 
another lady and I was like eyeing her off thinking, oh, who's going to get to go first? But it was me, thank goodness. So 8 a.m., wheeled in and, yeah, surrounded by like 25 people. I just remember being so overwhelmed, like it was the most amount of people I'd seen and they're sort of, you know, all pulling at you and giving you injections and one person's talking to you and then like I, I was sick as well because I think I was just so overwhelmed. Um, and then all of a sudden, like 20 minutes later, you've got a baby and it's like, okay, this is this is it. Like, yeah, it was it was a bit of a mind game. Um, but I, I wouldn't change it, I don't think. Yeah, super surreal, hey. Like you just, I feel yeah. like there's so much going on with a C-section that when it happens, you're like, I don't know, personally I just didn't even know how to think in that moment. No, it's so overwhelming and and we were lucky we had somebody take lots of photos. So I go back and I look through the pictures but literally it's like seven minutes like my partner's like yeah we went in you like laid down and then we had a little girl so (laughs) it's wild afterwards I really struggled I don't know if you were the same but like the shakes and um yeah the recovery you think you're holding them and I was like I don't think I've got her and they're like, yeah, 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 you do, you do, it's fine. But they're so chilled. (laughs) Yeah, they're so chilled and I'm like this is a really big deal guys I can't stop moving um but yeah I I really I really appreciate um like all that they do to make you calm in such a big situation um but yeah if we if we ever have a second I'd really like to try for a back. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I would, yeah, same with me. Or I'd also like to do um, where you can pull them out, C-section, yes. maternal assisted, is it called? Yeah, yeah. maternally assisted. How yeah. cool. I'd love to do either of those, yeah, if we have a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, how did Clara come out? Was she quite big or how was she, yeah, how did that she go? She was so normal. She was 7 pounds 7 or 3.3 kilos. Um, she was quite long and she was, as healthy as anything at the start. Um, oh, she didn't get sick or anything. She just had awful colic and reflux. But I think that's got a little bit to do with cesareans as well. I've sort of heard that there are some things involved, like the antibiotics that can be a bit of a precursor for those things. But, yeah, she came out and she was, like, wild. She sort of hasn't gone back to being calm ever since. <laughs> and it was it was really nice. She got her little cord cut with my partner Um, And it was a little bit funny, actually. I was in recovery and things were going a little bit pear-shaped with me for a little bit. Um, And they said to my partner, I'll go downstairs, get changed. You'll be, you know, you'll be back up in no time. But because of COVID and the security that was in place, the security guards wouldn't let him back upstairs. So I was like flopping around on a table. Clara was somewhere else and Peter was stuck downstairs navigating how to get back up into the hospital room. And I was like, oh, that's great. Someone's got a baby. Um, But when I got back there, everything was good and he'd like dressed her and they'd had some skin on skin, which was really special. Um, And all the things you think you know about, but then when you realise, like, looking back, you're like, oh, I wish I'd done that more or I wish I'd, you know, you have a bit of a list of wishes. Mm. But I think that's just motherhood. Yeah, yeah. How did, um, what happened with you post-birth? My blood, my blood pressure and my heart rate got really low, mm. like 20 beats per minute. And it was that sort of thing where you're lying on your back and you've got a flannel and you're shaking and a few people are trying to tell you to like breathe through it and you're fine and everything's okay. 
But then Peter was like, yeah, more and more doctors and nurses just started coming in and coming in. And I wasn't hemorrhaging or anything, but I think just a reaction to the, like the general, not the general, the spinal block um, didn't sit well with me at all. And they they finally got my heart sort of stable. Um, but, yeah, it was one of those things where I think you don't know the severity of it until you're well again. Mm. Um, and it took a little while for me to feel sort of human in myself mm. after that. I was flushed for about 10 hours, I think. In every photo I've got, like, little red cheeks and marks everywhere. And, yeah, it took a little bit. <laughs> yeah. How long um, were you recovering in hospital for? So I think I had three nights. I It was in the thick of lockdown, so Peter was only allowed to stay that day. Then he went home. Um, My mum was here because we had a dog at that stage Um, and she would tap out with him and then he got an hour a day at the hospital. So looking back and, um, yeah, it's sort of a bit sad because I think new mums should be surrounded by love if that's what they want. Like I know a lot of people want to be on their own or just with their partner, but an hour a day with one Mm. person was not enough. Um, And even things like showering, I think Mm. like, you know, you shower, but it's sort of like where do you put the baby? Do you take Mm. them with you? Or even going to the toilet, I didn't know where I was allowed to go or if I was even allowed to leave my little like room I was sharing with um, somebody else so that was all a bit tricky to navigate Um, and I think it probably that's that time alone is what led me to want to support people more but it also I think it holds a lot of responsibility for maybe things not going super well at the start like I had quite severe anxiety and breastfeeding wasn't the easiest um and I just think if maybe there'd been more support in those early days and the nurses do an amazing job and they were stretched um but yeah I just think I sort of probably want a second so I could have a bit of a do-over and have the flowers in the hospital room and have the visitors and be brought coffee and I don't know be loved on a little bit I think a lot of mums maybe will probably feel the same that being left alone for days is not conducive to a healthy relationship postpartum yeah I can't believe he was only allowed an hour that's so Mm. that would be so hard yeah yeah and it's like you know when someone you haven't seen somebody in 10 years and you're like oh what have you been up to and they always say nothing but it's like everything in that 23 hours has happened or you haven't slept because you don't know what you're doing and your boobs are sore and you I was you know recovering from a c-section and that's pretty intense and I didn't like the food so I was just hungry yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was it was tricky to navigate there we are I think I'd lost you for a sec oh yeah it just my internet came up as unstable for a minute there <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah how did you go with your feeding journey how did you decide to feed her yep so I probably very naively during pregnancy thought that that was going to be my full-time job. I was going to be breastfeeding religiously and it was going to be incredible and it was going to be easy. And I downloaded the Robin Thompson breastfeeding method course, probably hadn't looked at it enough, but I had it. So I felt like I was the queen of breastfeeding. Um, And when Clara was born, she was 
she was severely tongue-tied, so it was very flat to the bottom of her mouth and heart-shaped. And I actually have a tongue tie, so I think I'd ask them to check because we hadn't realised mine until I think I was 30. I didn't even know what a tongue tie was. Um, and they said, yep, it's really quite tight, so we'll come back and we'll snip it tomorrow. So I thought, okay, great. So she was snipped and in that 24-hour period, I'd already gotten quite bad nipple trauma um, just because of her tie being so severe. Um, but everyone that came in was like, oh, yeah, her latch is great. If we, you know, if everyone had a latch like you, we wouldn't be in jobs. And something just wasn't feeling like it was right. My milk, I know with a C-section and gestational diabetes, it can take a little bit longer, but I wasn't getting that really like cement boob feeling. I'm quite small chested anyway, and nothing had changed during pregnancy. I tried antenatal expressing and it hadn't really worked. Um, so all of these things were just sort of feeling a little bit um, a little bit overwhelming. And it, I hold the most amount of grief, I think, for my pregnancy and for my postpartum. It's all tied up in the breastfeeding. That's where it hurts the most, I think. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're great. You're doing it, but we need you to express. So they would bring around the pump and every two hours, I would feed and I would express afterwards just to try and, I guess, yeah, remove to then improve supply. And then we got sent home from hospital and we were still on this triple feeding and the nurses were coming into the apartment. They would do their main chat downstairs on the phone and then they would come up and do a quick way and check the wound and check everything. And she got me on a nipple shield because she's like, oh, yeah, you've got to keep triple feeding. Like, we've got to do this. And... If anybody doesn't know what triple feeding is, it's where you feed and then you pump and then you also top up with formula. So Clara was so hungry and failing to thrive. She would literally just suck back the syringes. We didn't even have to push them. Um, and I'd made a note to get bottles and formula before I had her because I didn't want to be going to the chemist in the headspace that my baby was starving and just grabbing anything. I wanted to be prepared and that was a tip from my sister that I sort of carried through. But it just didn't, it didn't ever feel like we were winning. We were never like seeing a really big improvement in her eating and her feeding and her weight gain. And we tried that for six weeks. And I spoke to the doctor about going on medication. I think there's a few different types. And because of my issues surrounding body image and my mental health around what I was probably looking like postpartum, my GP was like, oh, I don't think medication is right for you because there have been cases, I guess, where weight change can, it can be related to the medication. And at that stage, I decided that my mental health around weight gain would be so significant that Clara was better off having a full tummy on formula than a mum that hated herself, um, which is ridiculous now. I mean, maybe not ridiculous, but now I think, geez, I just would give anything to go back and take the bloody medication and see if it worked. But you're not in the right headspace and the support, we couldn't have lactation consultants come in. And I don't think I knew that they could do Zoom. Um, and even the financial stuff around that, you don't think when you're on maternity leave, I've got that spare, I'm going to throw it at it because you're just not in the right mm. 
mental space for that. So, yeah, after six weeks, we transitioned fully to formula. And with her colleague, she was on a little medication for that. And we ended up on a thickened feed and it would stay in her tummy and she started to gain weight. So it was sort of a blessing that we had the, the formula and the bottles already there and we knew what we were doing. But I definitely, definitely wish I could go back and just kind of tell, tell myself like, you know, this is what's available or this is how you're doing a good job. Um, and, yeah, just be a bit kinder to myself probably in that phase. Yeah, I think like as a new mum as well, we just have so much going on. So you, mm. you were to know what your mental health would be like. So I guess at the right time, that was perfect for you. Yeah. And I think there's, I think that's just not spoken about enough as well. There's so much around mental health and, um, yeah, and breastfeeding because mm-hmm. like I got told because I, yeah, I have feel like I've struggled with a lot of that that you've spoken about and everyone would say to me, yeah, it's just as soon as you breastfeed, the weight will drop off. So I think a lot yes. of women look forward to that, especially yep. if you're kind of thinking I'll eat what I want while I'm pregnant and then I'll have the baby and then it will just suck right off me. But mm-hmm. for me, I put on weight while I was breastfeeding and then I was kind of like, oh, maybe it'll fall off when I stop breastfeeding and it's just such a mind game that you just the hormones are everywhere and then you just want to put your baby first and yeah it's so so hard isn't it I know I listened to um, a recent episode of the beyond the bump girls and uh, it was on their bounce back or snap back culture and I think Sophie was saying like weight dropped off her when she was breastfeeding but then Jade it was the opposite effect and there is that mentality of like, oh, I can breastfeed and they're going to suck all the food out of me and I'll, I'll be able to like, you know, fit back in my jeans and it's all going to be worthwhile. And a lot of me was probably really excited about that because of where I was at pre-pregnancy as well. I didn't gain weight during pregnancy, but I didn't, I definitely gained weight afterwards because I was just eating Toblerones and like, yeah, every day my partner would come back with a giant Toblerone and I'm like, okay, well, I may as well. It's one hand of snack. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you kind um, of feel like, you kind yeah. of feel like in a way, like I deserve this. I'm like, I'm yes. so tired. And I think, yeah, the sleep deprivation, you're just like, I don't even care right now. Like, no, it's like you just need the energy. And I'd gone so long without having chocolate. So I was like, I'm making up for the gestational diabetes now which is also a a bad thing because you've got to be really on top of um, managing post gestational diabetes Mm -hmm. your risk of type 2 increases seven times so yeah you've got to be really mindful but it is definitely something that I was really looking forward to like breastfeeding in a park with a coffee and in a flowy dress like this this really beautiful narrative of what I had that would be feeding my baby and then it was not, it was, oh, you're, you're on a bottle, like having to, you sort of had to feel like, you felt like you had to explain yourself to everybody every time you whipped out a bottle yeah. or, yeah, in mother's group, I think I was the only one that didn't have a baby that breastfed well and mm. it, it, they were great about it. Like I'm still friends with them all now, but you do feel like the other and I think that's really tricky, but there are really great products out there that make life so much easier. Like the girls at Mister, they have like a thermos that helps. And I don't know, it kind of was a bit trendy. So I was like, you know, the perks were I got this cool little water bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's tricky. It's one of those things that I really have to be mindful that when other people are feeding, especially in this line of work, if they're having a tough time 
that I don't automatically assume that they're having a tough time because of the same reasons I had a tough time. Like I want everyone to be so successful in their feeding journey, um, but also need to acknowledge that some people don't choose to breastfeed and that's okay as well. Like just because it's all I wanted doesn't mean that it's all anybody else wants as well. Yeah, definitely. How did you feel about your body um, as after you'd had her? Like was it still a bit to get your head around or how did yeah. that go for you? Yeah, it's still to this day probably. Um, I had clearance to move my body from about 12 weeks, but something I didn't know about C-sections, and it's it's probably a bit silly because even nearly two years on, I still think about it daily, is um, you get like a little, there's, oh, I don't know if everybody does, but there's like a little dip on one side where they stitch a little bit harder and so in anything I put on I was like oh I can see the dip that's there and say my sister she would be like you can't tell that that's there at all but because I knew that one side of my body wasn't the same as the other like I wouldn't even want to be standing sort of side on to somebody on my right side because the right side's where I don't like it but then if somebody else had a c-section and they were talking about it I would never think like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you didn't wear those jeans because you have a dip in your tummy. Like it's just yeah. it's that sort of narrative that is so ridiculous when you think somebody else is thinking it and you're like, what do you like? But then when it's you, it's all-consuming. So I definitely try to move every day. Like we don't drive much. We walk all the time. I'm not anywhere near as fit as I was before having Clara, but I feel like my relationship with having a daughter who has a body and the way I speak to myself about my body, it's something that I place a strong value on. Like I want her to love herself regardless, like in every sense. And I don't want her to think like, oh, I caused mummy to be upset about her dick because that's where I came from. So I never would ever speak badly about my body in front of her or my scar. Um, but it's one of those things that I didn't know existed before I had a C-section. And it was probably the thing I get most jealous about if other people have had C-sections. I'm like, oh, you you don't have that. Like, yeah, it's so silly because it's an operation. If somebody had a scar on their arm, I'd be like, oh, nice scar. I wouldn't even think about it. You know, it's so silly. But because it's it's tied up in that crazy narrative about birth and body image, it's so, so relevant every day. And it's so interesting where the scar even is. It's kind of not a place that you'd ever look regularly on anyone else. Yeah, but when it's yourself, you just, yeah. Yeah, and mine, like I've healed, you know, like you can barely see the line anymore. It's it's so fine. I didn't get keloid scarring or anything like that, but I know that there's a lot of things people are doing nowadays that I see come through Instagram and websites and emails about like massaging post-op and, getting to like connect with your scar because a lot of the time they're numb for so long as well. You don't even have any feeling in that part of your body. And the reconnection between body and mind is is almost just as important as the healing, I think, physically, like whether it's sore or not. But, yeah, it's some, it's one of those things I never knew I would ever think about until afterwards. Mm. So when you see some of your postpartum clients, do they um, have kind of similar experiences in their um, like body image or bounce back culture or do they, yeah, how do they kind of navigate that? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Whenever I post something, I think, oh, I wonder if this will resonate with anybody. And always like five or ten people will come through. And whether that's postpartum hair loss, whether that's body image, whether that's like painful boobs, everybody seems to connect in some way or another or they know somebody that has a similar thought. So when I did a little blog on bounce back culture and fitness and spoke a couple like to a couple of girlfriends about it it can be one of those things that I think either really triggers people because they feel like they're not doing enough and if somebody else is doing more than them it's that competitive spirit um but with postpartum clients they've all been vaginal deliveries at this stage, which is really interesting because I've never had one. I don't know what the recovery with that is like personally. So I just have to trust the people like women's health physios that talk about pelvic floor and the importance of getting that stuff checked and prolapse. Like if you think you are at risk or if you think you've had it, like to make sure you're getting it checked because when you're moving back into movement and appreciating your body if we're too embarrassed to talk about these aspects that are super super common um accepting that they happen but not accepting that it's just part of your life now like actually going about getting it maybe not fixed initially but like talking to the right people and yeah all my postpartum clients have definitely had something that they've needed outsourcing for but just haven't known where to go so it's good having a bit of a network that I can go okay well this is for you and this person's for you and yeah that's been really good yeah what um I really enjoyed one of the posts that you did recently about what mothers need their visitors to know would you mind going into some of those things? I think it's really, yeah, really important for a visitor, I guess. (laughs) I know. Well, I actually wrote to a couple of girlfriends after I had a baby and was like, oh my God, I am so sorry. Like I was not the best friend. I was not the best guest. Um, Yeah. I feel like that as well. I was having this conversation with one of my friends the other day who hasn't had a baby and she was under the impression that when you have a baby, you just need lots of space. So she says she does the opposite. Like she'll just retract herself and she won't reach out because she's like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to annoy you. And I was like, well, in my experience, I think I wanted more love at that time. And she's like, oh my God, I've been the worst friend ever. And I was like, (laughs) oh, and I think you don't know until you're in it. Like I honestly think it's one of those like learning curves um but it came about that post because I've had a few girlfriends in the last month like five babies have just arrived in my universe and it's really really lovely and I was probably a bit like your friend I was like I wanted to give them space but I wanted to know that they I want them to know that they're loved and they live three hours away so I can't just order them uber eats because there isn't uber eats um but they were writing and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, can you do, like, a little post on people washing their hands and and if I'm breastfeeding, like, can they look away or I'm still learning so it doesn't feel really natural. And I did a little question box and was like, what are the things that you wish people would know? And a lot of it was, you know, don't stay too long. If you come, don't ask for a cuppa. Like, just make yourself one. Like, just make yourself at home. If I'm sitting and there's blood on the sheets like you know which happens don't make a big deal of it maybe just grab me a towel or bring food over with you and don't leave plates on the sofa like really simple stuff and I think as visitors we often forget that we can 
go in and make someone's like life a little bit easier. We don't have to be the guests with the hostess with the mostest. We can be that host mm-hmm. when we're going into someone's home. So if that means you have some extra lasagna from the night before or some brownie from lunches that week, taking that with you mm-hmm. and you know, leaving it on the front doorstep, even in an esky and just texting them saying, hey, no reply needed. There's some food on your front door. Text me if you want to have a cup of this week. And something as simple as that makes such a huge difference. And even with like the in-laws, that came up a few times, not mine personally, but um, a few people didn't know how to navigate when to ask people to leave. (laughs) So, and like germs and kissing babies. And it's so easy just to like want to smush them and like hold their hands. But we forget that babies put their hands in their mouth all the time. So anything that we've touched now, they're eating and their little bodies just can't hold up to that at this stage. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was quite, it was, it was sort of done through a bit of humor because everyone was like, oh my God, honestly, like this needs to stop. But then at the core, it was also a little bit of health and safety and mental health as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we need support, but we need you to meet us where we are yeah. and we need you to come at us in our new in our new bodies and our new minds and, you know, hold us before you want to hold the baby. I guess for someone who hasn't experienced it, everything that we kind of spoke about just then can kind of probably seem really confusing. (laughs) It's like come over but not for too long, like bring this but don't bring this, don't do this. Like it's kind of like a checklist. Yeah, it's so hard. It would be so hard. And I think every mum's different as well. Like I was a bit like you. I would have, I was just craving people visiting but we couldn't. We couldn't have people come over. Um, And all I wanted was people to, like, look at my baby and hold my baby and just be, like, so in love with her as well. And other people are like, oh, no, don't touch them. I don't want you to, like, look at them. I just want them to be mine for a little bit longer. So I guess it's like that isolation of the first 40 days. Some people are really into it. And some people, it's like the worst thing that they could ever imagine. Yeah. Like my favourite thing was when anyone came over with coffees and food. I just feel like yeah. always come with things. Yes. <laughs> always I come with food. Agree. 100%. I've got on my like little intake form, like what sparks joy. And I always think like if clients just wrote their coffee order, that's all they need to do. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll just kind of guess and wing it um, and take a coffee and some treats. But, yeah, never come empty-handed. Yeah. So for you as a postpartum doula, like what does that look like? Um, When you have a client, what kind of things do you do and, like, how does that process come about? Yeah, so I'm probably, I feel like I'm a little bit of an oddball in the postpartum doula world. I'm a hairdresser by trade. Um, So I always feel like I've had that caring role and can chat to anybody probably for far too long but I I always offer meals being made in their home so if they've got like a fridge full of food chopping up the vegetables chopping up the fruit like the fruit stripping the beds changing all the sheets even like the cot if they've got siblings making that a really fresh space because that is my favorite thing like hopping into bed at night with clean sheets I just think is divine um even if you're only spending two hours in bed at a time it's still really nice um and even like life admin I think sometimes booking appointments can feel so overwhelming I know when I was a new mum I couldn't even commit to buying a white noise machine that plugged into the wall. I just found it so much easier just to keep buying batteries. So 
I've got Life Admin as something that I offer if you want to do an online shop but you don't know where to start or you need to go to the chemist but you can't bring yourself to sort of like get in the car. Life Admin is something I offer as well. Also hair treatments and blow dries. Um, my other day job during the week is I work in a blow dry bar and it is amazing how many people just come in to have a bit of a reset, their hair washed, I think a long shower as a mum is something that's not, I do not think it should be self-care, but it is really delicious anyway. And having somebody hold your baby and not having to pop out and be like, hey, you're good. Like, are you right if I wash my hair? If that's just part and parcel, you go do it. I'll see you in 45 minutes and then we'll give you a nice blow dry. Um, and then if you've got photos being taken, you feel like a little bit of who you were post-baby perhaps. Um, so, yeah, I also have my... Diploma of Early Childhood Education. And I think sibling care is something that's really important, making sure that older child knows that they're not forgotten about and they haven't been replaced and there's still love for them, making sure that they feel really special. That's on the top of my list as well. So it's a funny little ball game of what a postpartum doula does because I think a lot of them offer anything and everything, but mine sort of has drifted towards more self-care and pampering and nourishment rather than more woo-woo kind of things. Yeah, that's so nice. And everything that your background is just makes you such a delicious postpartum doula, I think. <laughs> I hope so. Great I yeah. hope so. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm like I've either worked with kids or women, so I'm like why not do the two yeah. together? Yeah, so good. Um, I guess like as well what we've just spoken about now, um, in your own postpartum journey, how did you kind of navigate that? Did you have a lot of support around you at the time, like, were you able to do those things that you just mentioned that you help other women with? Um, no. So we did have a great support system in the sense that my mum was able to move in with us for six weeks. I got a little medical um, note from the hospital because she had to navigate the Ring of Steel in Melbourne. So she showed that every time. Um, so we had her, but there were things I didn't want my mum doing that really bugged me, which sounds so silly, but the skirting boards if they had dog hair on them, I literally couldn't think of anything else, but I'm not going to ask my mum to clean my skirting boards. So if anyone wants their skirts cleaned, I'm <laughs> Oh, my God, um, I'm the same. Like when I brought Ivy home from hospital, our dogs would be inside and I just yeah. couldn't handle the dog fur because she was such a fresh baby. Like I'd get so frustrated and, like, I lo loved my dogs, like, so much, like, before Ivy. But then when I had Ivy, obviously she was number one now mm -hmm. and any sort of dirtiness, like, grossed me out and, like, yes. one day I had friends coming over and I had to say to my mom I felt so bad but I had to be like do you mind just like doing the vacuuming <laughs> but I just <laughs> didn't want to say that yeah. yes well I didn't really want to ask my mom that stuff either like she was fantastic in the sense that she was there to make cuppers and hold the baby and Peter was working after he had a week off so um, he was away for long days so it meant that I was never alone um, but there were definitely things that I didn't want to put on family and friends and friends couldn't even come to visit. So we didn't have that network of support in the sense that, you know, I could sit and have a little cry face to face with somebody or they could, you know, help me do my hair or I couldn't just book in and get something done because there was nothing like Coles, I think, and Priceline were the only places we could go for a shop and a treat, which is just ridiculous. Um, so I think, yeah, people, 
it's tricky because I don't think anybody ever thinks that they're not supporting and it's like going back to, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But I think there was probably times where I was really resentful of people that had it easy or lived elsewhere other than Melbourne because you'd see people that had the support network around them and they just didn't get it. Like I think unless you lived in Melbourne during the Ring of Steel times, there's no way of explaining what that was like you know, they closed the parks and it's like if you don't even have a park to go sit in for some fresh air, um, that was a really tricky time. So it was another reason why I was like I need mums to not feel lonely and there's a beautiful meme. It's it's like a little picture and I can't remember who the illustrator is but it's four squares and it's this mum standing in a window holding her baby and it's like I think you'll, you know, if you feel lonely, please remember you're never alone and it's like the whole city's got little lit up windows and I think those night times, they're when you need the support as well. But if you don't have it, we don't have anyone to call on. You know, we don't have the village like we used to. We don't have aunties and uncles lining up to take care of the baby. And, yeah, that loneliness was probably, even though I had people, the loneliness was really amplified in those early days. Mm, yeah, that's so hard, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> hard tricky. To, um, if... Uh, if a postpartum mum can't uh, afford or they, they're a postpartum doula is not for them, what kind of things mm-hmm. can they do um, kind of in those early days to look after themselves? I saw you did a really cute little post on this as well. Yes. Oh, I really, I really understand the financial um, impact that wanting things but not really committing to them can do. So things that cost literally nothing would be join your mum's group. Like even if you don't think you're a mum's group kind of girl, ours was all on Zoom for the first six weeks. So we were literally just, I don't know, 12 squares of mums holding crying babies. (laughs) And it was so special though. And we're all still friends nearly two years on and they've all gone on, a lot of them have gone on to have their second babies. Um, So I think join your mother's group for one because nobody else will be in the thick of it like your mum's group and they will be there on WhatsApp if you need a message. Definitely the toy libraries as well. It's another little, it's not free, but it's really cheap. Another little good way to build your village and have people in the same kind of, maybe not life moments as you, but definitely people that understand. Um, Your local cafe, I think, is a really good one. We have a really, like, great friend from there, who owns it and every day we see her and if I don't go in for whatever reason she'll like message and she's like hey are you okay so having that check-in that was really important and finding what self-care means to you so self-care for me might be someone's worst nightmare like I love going to get my nails done or going for a walk on my own without the pram putting a podcast in again they cost nothing and you can feel like you've got little friends in your ears all the time um and you develop relationships I guess with them because you know what's going on in their world and you can follow them on Instagram um self-care muting people that don't serve you anymore like if something's making you feel shitty press mute you don't have to unfollow they don't have to know that you have like vanished but just quietening the noise that makes you feel insecure or inferior or competitive um, especially when things like sleep and feeding if your friend from high school has a great sleeper and you don't you're going to resent them like even if you don't want to it's going to happen 
And that's another good one. And then also I think wearing clothes that serve you and meet you where you're at as well. Like you don't have to fit into the clothes that you wore pre-baby or even during your baby. And if it means going to Kmart or, you know, Zara or H&M, grabbing a few things that maybe won't break the bank but will make you feel like you can go out in the world and show up as your true person Um, and accepting that, that would be a really good tip I think as well as Mm. some self-care. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like everything that you have said, like you're just such a like ball of wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> so this might oh, this question, like I was going to say, if you could go back and give yourself um, pre having Clara one piece of advice, yeah. what would that be? I feel like you know so much now. Oh, I feel I feel I was thinking about this the other day that, um, you know, I think it's really easy to be so hard on ourselves. And even now, like, my sister will always tell me that my standards of parenting are crazy high and just to go easy, I think I would tell myself that just be kinder to yourself, like know that the choices you're making in that moment, they are the best choices you can make for you and your child. And even if you don't agree with them six months on, you know, we are all flexible in what we know and we're all doing the best we can with what we have. And if any mum is like looking back on two weeks ago, you know, if she let her baby sit in a dirty nappy for a little bit too long because she was in the shower or they cried for five minutes longer than they wanted, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Be kind to yourself because everyone else, (laughs) everyone else thinks you're doing a great job. You've just got to think it too. Mm, I love that. That's so great. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. This conversation has been amazing. We covered so many great points. Um, How can people find you? Thank you. (laughs) So I talk so much. I'm so, I'm so sorry for everybody that's listening if I ramble. Um, So I'm on Instagram at matrescence.by.design. And then I also have a website, which is matrescencebydesign.com. And that has all my packages, a little bit more about me, a little bit about my daughter and um, yeah, just the services that I offer. And I can, I can travel between Gippsland, Melbourne and Geelong. Awesome. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you so much, Amy. It was lovely. How awesome was Claudia? Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the chat as much as I did today. Um, I will leave all of the things that we covered in the show notes. So if you're interested in following Claudia, you can. Um, If you are enjoying the post-party project, don't forget to subscribe. And as always, if you would like to share your postpartum experience, um, just hit me up on Instagram. I am at the postparty project, or you can send me an email. Um, the post party project at gmail.com.